From Jeffries and Gimlet Creative, this is Invisible Forces, a show about the unexpected factors shaping the global economy and our future. I'm Shannon Murphy. I'm the head of equities content at Jeffries. And I'm Erin Shea. I'm on the Capital Intelligence team at Jeffries. Last week, we talked about the forces shaping the adoption of artificial intelligence in the financial services industry. We're seeing the evolution of a number of converging technologies that my organization often calls the fourth industrial revolution. Go back later and listen if you missed that one. In this episode, we're going inside an industry boom to understand what leads to value creation and sustained growth in today's world, which is defined more and more by social media influence, e-commerce, and digitally native companies. And we'll dig into two forces that will continue to shorten the life cycle of booms in the fast-moving consumer goods category, also known as FMCG. The FMCG industry includes everything from gum to beef, kombucha to aspirin. And a lot of recent headlines are pointing out that the industry as a whole could stand to learn a lot from a certain slice of the FMCG category, the beauty industry. I'm into clean beauty, clean, clean, clean. I'm a bit of a minimalist when it comes to ingredients and beauty is a big part of my lifestyle. Like my skin, it's my entire body, right? Big part of me, right? We met Simone Hamilton near Times Square. She was out shopping with a friend and looking to stock up on some of her favorite clean beauty products. You can hear the passion Simone has for the products she loves. These types of purchases are part of a global sector worth hundreds of billions of dollars. We'll hear from a couple of other shoppers we met a little later. The trajectory of the beauty industry's most recent boom offers a powerful case study. It can teach us how people are finding products, how boom cycles are happening in a totally new way, and how there's an overall shift in the balance of power, away from big companies into the hands of regular people. The beginning of the beauty boom first took hold about a decade ago. And I think to go back, we really have to go back to the pre-recession period when the beauty industry was led by an aging woman. And she was calling on the industry to provide solutions for her aging skin. Our guide throughout this episode is someone who has spent decades tracking this complex industry. I'm Steph Wissink. I'm a consumer analyst in the research group at Jefferies. Steph says before the recession, boomers were the biggest buyers of beauty. Then around 2008, millennials took the lead. And instead of anti-aging products, they were buying makeup. Some researchers attribute this shift to the so-called lipstick effect. It's the idea that during an economic downturn when consumers cut back on their spending, they still indulge in beauty products. But Steph says there was also something else going on that amplified these purchases, among young women in particular. Yeah, so what also happened during the recession is that we had a massive adoption cycle of mobile devices. And then the rise of social media participation also provided her a way to post that look and to get responses from people that are her immediate friends or connections to her friends of her friends of her friends. Um, And so she had a, a way to validate her look. This is the heart of the first invisible force that's upending the beauty industry and beyond. That force is connection. People want to be connected to each other. And so I think the the beauty space, particularly for young women, is a binding agent. 
Steph is able to paint a vivid picture when she talks about how consumers today prioritize beauty in their wallets. It's almost as if she knows them personally. And in a way, she does, through the data. She says the data shows how much this external validation strengthens consumers' loyalty to a brand. Again, the consumer profile that comes across most often is of a young woman who is socially engaged. So an example, she goes into an Ulta store and gets her brows shaped by a benefit specialist, and she buys a set of benefit items. She posts a picture as she's walking out of an Ulta store, and she says, just got my brows done at Ulta. If she gets likes, hits, shares, comments that say, your brows look great, you look amazing, haven't seen you in years, you look fabulous, that is an instant brand validation moment, not only for benefit, but for the destination she visited. This is the behavior that brands want to be a part of. Even though she is not a paid influencer, she is a micro-influencer of her social circle. So her friend, one connection or seven connections away, may be thinking about getting her brow shaped. Where is she likely to go? To the place that she just was inspired to visit. What is she likely to ask for? A benefit brow appointment. Use a product, post a photo or a video of yourself afterwards or while using it, connect to your social media followers, and then get their reactions. Steph says this is an everyday occurrence that holds a lot of power. She can try something new, and she can get instant feedback from a group of, again, what we would define in data as friends or connections. She may not know 75% of the people that are responding to her, but it's enough to validate what she is interested in buying or has purchased. And I think that's an important part of the customer journey. It hasn't been as influential in the past because we couldn't do it at scale. In seeking this connection, consumers are consuming and creating a ton of digital content. Well, I usually buy my makeup because um, I watch a lot of YouTube videos online for um, beauty gurus. Christy Jimenez is another shopper we met near Times Square. She spoke to our producer, Emily. So what's the last piece of makeup that you bought? My last piece of makeup? Probably a makeup eyeshadow palette. I saw, like, a, a lot of good reviews on it, so I decided to buy it. Yeah. I'm very heavily influenced by the internet. <laughs> like, I don't know. If I see someone, like, talking about a product a lot, then I'm more likely to buy it. According to McKinsey, there are a million and a half beauty videos on YouTube. They account for over four and a half billion views every month. Between 2015 and 2016 alone, this number increased by nearly 70%. So what is this all worth? Connor Begley wanted to find out. I have spent a lot of time uh, thinking about influencers and beauty. Connor's the co-founder of Tribe Dynamics. It's a San Francisco-based startup that tracks influencer content. He was very compelled by what was happening in beauty. Um, like the number that always gets me is there's this really cool, you can't see it anymore, but you used to be able to see these statistics on YouTube. Um, and there's a particular video by a guy named Manny Mua that I've saved. And it has 3 million views on the video, which is, you know, a good amount of views. The video is about 10 minutes long. But the number that's crazy is they track how much time people spent watching that video. Uh, and the time spent was 54 years. 
like an entire person's lifetime spent watching this one YouTube video about uh, Wet and Wild, I believe is a foundation. And so, you know, that's insane. Brands would kill for this degree of engagement. So Tribe Dynamics began to track it. They started paying attention to the advertising value that companies get from social media and influencer content for free. It's called Earned Media Value, or EMV. And they use this data to predict how burgeoning companies might grow in the future. We wanted to try and come up with a metric that would give us a clearer picture for business impact than just counting the number of posts you got or the number of likes you got. Um, And so for us, we kind of focused on that starting about six years ago because it ends up being a really good predictor for future momentum or decline uh, for brands, specifically when you look at how a brand is doing versus its competitive set over time. So if you're significantly outperforming your competitive set, you're very likely to grow, according to EMV. And if you are significantly underperforming your competitive set, you're very likely to decline. After about a year in business, this is around 2013, Tribe Dynamics was still struggling to muster any real interest from brands. Um, And thought we were totally wasting our time. We were making $1,000 a month. My co-founder looks at me and he's like, what are we doing? He's like, we could be making more money digging ditches than we're making today. But then... One of the cosmetics companies that they were tracking got acquired for half a billion dollars by a big legacy brand. Uh, So the investment bank that was working that deal reached out to us and was like, hey, we need to chat. Like Your data was the only data that was showing this momentum. And they thought they got a full extra revenue multiple on the deal, which is about $100 million because of it, which was pretty cool. Although we didn't get any of that money. Connor says their data continued to show a pattern that most people had missed. Brands that spiked in earned media value were eventually getting acquired for a lot of money. This all shows another aspect of connection as a force. It isn't just about how consumers seek validation and share their favorite products in social media. It's also about how brands interact with their customers. And so what I think you're seeing with the internet is you've seen this real dramatic shift um, and you're finally starting to see those effects to where now you've had around a dozen brands that have gotten to billion-dollar valuations in the beauty and fashion space, uh, primarily via um, social media and via influencers. Um, So if you look at, you know, Huda is a billion-dollar brand, Anastasia is a $3 billion brand, Um, Glossier is a billion-dollar brand, Charlotte Tilbury is a billion-dollar brand. So you've started to see it actually have pretty dramatic effects on the market itself. Anastasia Beverly Hills, one of the brands that Connor just mentioned, first gained fame for its eyebrow products. And it's a go-to example of how a brand can become a powerhouse through social media. Connor says in a year's time, the company could have 11,000 influencers talking about it, who combined create nearly 300,000 pieces of content around the brand. So it's 300,000 Instagram posts, YouTube videos, Pinterest pins, et cetera. And uh, to put that further in context, that's about one and a half billion times a consumer will like, comment, share a post that contains Anastasia's names just in the U.S. It's insane. That's annually. Today, according to Connor, The fastest-growing beauty brands are garnering an average of $400 million worth of earned media annually. Since products can now take off without huge marketing budgets, there's a lower barrier to entry. And that's our next invisible force, because it's allowing a new era of innovation. 
Here's Jeffrey Stefwissink again. And so we look for outliers, both on the big positive side and then on the small agitator side. Who's going to come up and start fighting at the ankles of the big guys? Um, and I think, again, in the beauty industry, because it's novelty-driven, because she's looking for what's new and distinct and unique, and because the barriers to entry have reduced so much, we're seeing a lot more ankle biters today than we did a decade ago. Um, and I wouldn't say it's making the big companies scared, per se, but it's certainly shaking them up a little bit versus the comfort that they enjoyed for many, many years. And this is happening all over the fast-moving consumer goods sector and beyond. Small companies can come in fast with their own takes on the latest trends or help spark them. Things happen more quickly. They move through the life cycle from adoption to mass reach very quickly. And I think that's also a function of the accessibility of goods today. Uh, it doesn't take much to open a browser on your mobile device and Google a brand and it will take you to a website and you can click to cart in just a few swipes. Steph says the factors that created the huge boom the beauty industry has experienced over the last decade are now causing booms to happen in a very different way. I think as analysts of consumers in particular, uh, we're seeing life cycles of trends shortening, again, not just in beauty, but broadly across other lifestyle categories as well. So something becomes hot, it becomes hot fast, and um, it tends to fall off fast as well. But I think what we can learn in hindsight is that consumers have tremendous power when getting behind a cycle of adoption. Um, and what we've seen is because of accessibility, you know, those booms are going to maybe be faster and higher but then they're going to recede more quickly um, instead of a historic kind of seven to 10 year life cycle of a brand product or trend. We're starting to see life cycles be four to five years and in some cases, two to three years. So much shorter and more frequent. Steph points out that the story of the beauty industry's more than decade long boom also makes her think about where else this kind of cycle may take hold. I'll give an example outside the U.S. So I was in, a, in China recently. And I was walking a store uh, with a, a representative from Sephora, China, in the anti-aging section. And there was a young Chinese national woman shopping for skincare. And so I said to the, the gentleman I was with, I just said, ask her how old she is. And so he asked her, and she was 13. And I was taken aback a bit. And I said, ask her if she's buying a gift. He asked her the question, and she giggled. And she responded in Mandarin, no, I'm buying it for myself anti-aging age 13. Very culturally different than what we would see in a Western market where most women start a distinct anti-aging routine in their mid to late 30s if they're on it, usually in their 40s if they're a little bit late, not 13. It was a great reminder for us that not all trends occur in all markets in the same way. And the world is a big place, and for many beauty companies, growing outside the U.S. is the future of their business. So we need to ask different sets of questions of the management teams around their strategies. Are they just taking a U.S. model and trying to lift it and drop it into another market, or are they really understanding the sensitivities and distinctions of that marketplace? These are questions that any industry executive should be asking themselves. And if other industries want to realize the full potential of opportunities out there, 
they can look to the beauty industry as a guide. Next week on Invisible Forces, our final episode of the season. We'll explore one invisible force that runs underneath all the others, entrepreneurial spirit. By definition, being an entrepreneur starts out as irrational. I think what I like about being an entrepreneur is it takes that sense of romanticism in you, that irrationality, and actually makes something useful out of it. Listen up for that. And if you like what you're hearing, leave us a review. I'm Shannon Murphy. And I'm Erin Shea. This episode was produced by Emily Foreman and Matt Schultz. Our editor is Renita Jablonski. Music and mixing by Marcus Begala. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Zach Schmidt is our technical director. Additional production help by Jorge Estrada and Ricky Novetsky. Special thanks to Connor Begley, Christy Jimenez, and Simone Hamilton. See you next week. Jeffries, the full-service global investment banking firm headquartered in the U.S., focused on serving clients for more than 55 years, is a leader in providing insight, expertise, and execution to investors, companies, and governments. The firm provides a full range of investment banking, advisory, sales and trading, research, and wealth management services across all products in the Americas, Europe, and Asia. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Jeffries entity to the audience. This podcast is being provided strictly for informational purposes only. Any views or opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals identified. This is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or investment. Any opinion or estimates constitute our best judgment as of the date of the podcast and are subject to change without notice. The information upon which this podcast is based was obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified. It may be based on subjective assessments and assumptions and should not be relied upon as an accurate representation of future events. Participation of a research analyst in this podcast does not mean that any Jeffries entity accepts any authority, discretion, or control over the management of the listener's assets. Any action taken by the listeners of this podcast based on the information presented is at the listener's sole judgment and risk. The listener must perform his or her own independent review of any investment discussed. The price and value of any investments referred to herein and the income from them may fluctuate. Past performance is not a guide to future performance, future returns are not guaranteed, and a loss of original capital may occur. No responsibility is accepted, and no representation, undertaking, or warranty is made or given in either case expressly or impliedly by Jeffries as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of the information contained herein, or as to the reasonableness of any assumptions on which any of the same is based, or the use of any of the same. Accordingly, neither Jeffries nor any of its officers, directors, employees, agents, or representatives will be liable for any direct indirect or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person resulting from the use of the information contained herein, or for any opinions expressed by any such person, or any errors, omissions, or misstatements made by any of them. Jeffries is not an advisor as to legal, taxation, accounting, or regulatory matters in any jurisdiction, and is not providing any advice as to any such matter. 
Listeners of this podcast should take their own independent advice with respect to matters discussed. 